You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. John Austin, and a nickel pack to the bank. Here's it out. Oh, he drops it in the bucket. Kenny Britt is gone. Touchdown. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending for the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to an all-new Turf Showtime's radio. This is your boy, Josh Webb, a.k.a. Fight on Twist. And as always, I am joined by Turf Showtime's fearless leader, not Boris Badenov, not Natasha, not any of the petty little, uh, what do you call them there, uh, 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 foot soldiers. We're talking about the Chief. Mr. Joe McAtee. Joe, how you doing today? I don't like fearless. There can only be one fearless leader. That's Jeff Fisher, man. He, he reserves all authority for the good of his people. What's up, man? It's good, good, good to talk to you on this Thursday night. For, so for everybody who gets a sense of when they're listening to us, Thursday night in the middle of this uh, Green Bay-Chicago game, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense looking like it's falling apart. I only mention that because for so many years, the Packers offense has been a given property. There's hope, Josh. There's always hope that things will will take a 180, whatever it is, for the people that are too good and for the teams that aren't. There's always hope, man. I'm, I'm hopeful tonight. And there's no reason not to be hopeful. No reason whatsoever. Um, there was a bit of an unfortunate luck, uh, however, this past weekend as the Rams... And there goes the hope. There, yeah. there goes the hope right out the window. <laughs> <laughs> As the Rams saw their three and one uh, season start turn into a five hundred start uh, halfway through the second quarter of the season, um, you know we're going to keep this short because we've got some much better discussion discussion that can lead to hope. Uh, but the very first thing I want to, uh, recap on that, man, was what the hell was that two-minute drill by the Rams? The Rams don't have two-minute drills, right? This, 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 you saw the drives on from both teams, the Lions and the Rams. This is the Rams' offense. When it's, even when it's good, it's methodical, right? So you're talking about gaining a couple yards on first down, opening up the playbook on second. At worst, if it works... You still got a third down and short, right? There is no, hey, we're going to move the ball downfield in 20-yard chunks three times in a row to set up this play with 30 seconds, and if that fails, we got this towards the end zone. If that fails, we got a field goal set up. That's not, uh, that's not how the Rams roll. Their two-minute drill is, well, let's just run Todd Gurley harder. Let's just have Case Keenum throw the ball harder. There is no, uh, there is no explosiveness to this offense, regardless of how much time is going to be on the clock, man. Well, Case Keenum threw the ball harder, uh, yeah. right into the waiting arms. Sure did. Uh, 
of, of the Detroit secondary, and that ended the drive. Uh, but the more important question here, what's I was only going to mention, there, there is no two-minute drive, right? So the only way it operates is to wait for Kenny Britt when defense is overplay or to hit him in that short intermediate range. Other than that, it's the Rams defense, Rams offense. It's going to be four yards, five yards, six yards, every single play. You're just not going to get a lot of opportunity. And I don't mean this to, to mock Detroit uh, in any way, but obviously we talked to Jeremy Reisman from Pride of Detroit for the preview podcast. It's just not a good defense, and you're not going to get a lot of opportunities like that. So the fact that they failed in the two-minute warning is partially you know, a, a victim of circumstances, but more than anything, it's the nature of the Rams offense. Oh, and what a wonderful nature it is. So the only question I really want to ask before we get into a great discussion with our guest this evening, and it's it's really a couple of questions all packaged into one, but the, but, but the notion is still the same here. Where do the Rams go from here? Has momentum been lost? Can people walk away with encouragement or, as you put it, hope? Yeah, well, I think the good thing is They've got one game in front of the bye, and so the momentum doesn't isn't determined by the last game. The momentum comes completely down to this game. Uh, you know, I think if there's anything that's unfortunate about it, it's that all other circumstances being equal, this would be a home game, and you'd have a Los Angeles crowd helping to determine uh, how much of the momentum after 60 minutes of football is going to swing towards the Rams versus the Giants. Uh, the fact that it's going to be in London, the fact that it's thrown off the timing and kind of the, uh, you know, part of what the Giants and Rams players have been mentioning, kind of the sleep cycle, their kind of physiological cycle, the fact that the Rams adjusted their practice schedule this week because of it uh, and actually flew out directly out of uh, Detroit instead of going back to Los Angeles. Those are all things that I think have more to do with the momentum than the Detroit loss. Um, you know, it, it really comes down to this one game. If they can get a win out of this and go into the bye with a, a record above 500, that can maybe catapult some stuff. And it's a tough five-game run coming out of that bye, so we'll have to see. But I think less uh, uh, than the Lions' result, I think the momentum is going to be completely determined by this game in London. And speaking of that game, I think that it is time, don't you? It is time to bring in... Our guest for the day, and, you know, people talk about OGs. They talk about the true originals. They talk about guys who've been there, seen it all, seen everything, been there since day one. The man we're about to talk to, Mr. Ed Valentine, editor, founder of Big Blue View, is just that. We're talking about a guy who has been around since the dawn of SB Nation time. Ed, we cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your day to join us to talk some Giants and Rams football. Uh, I know I've done a hell of an introduction there, uh, but I'm pretty sure I've not covered all of your credentials. So if you'd like, uh, go ahead and introduce yourselves to the peeps out here in Ramsland. Well, hey, thank you guys for having me on. You know, that's a that's a long-winded way of just calling me old. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, OG. I mean, I've been... I, I didn't know. I didn't, I've never seen you referred to as an OG. I, I like that. I think I'm going to have uh, to keep that for a while, man. No, I've been doing this. We did. We founded. I was lucky enough to find SB Nation way back in uh, 2007 when they were just building 
the uh, when they were just building the football network and and didn't have a Giants website yet. So uh, you know, for uh, that, so I was I was fortunate to do that, and and you know, I've I've always enjoyed it, and I'm fortunate to uh, to still have the opportunity to be here. You know, I did uh, I did newspaper work for for a long time back when newspapers were actually real things that that, that people knew oh. something about. But <laughs> you know, oh. you, you guys you, you you guys don't remember those, do you? That's the stuff that you uh, newspapers don't don't you use those to move like you wrap yeah. glasses in them? That's that that's those. Yeah, th- those those things. Yeah, huh? it's legends. You know, stuff that stuff that your grandparents told you about newspapers. But but I'm I'm in the I'm in the modern age now doing Big Blue View and enjoying it and uh, looking forward to Sunday. Well, Good stuff. man, I uh, I can't wait for Sunday's game, especially because uh, here we go, Joe. Fifteen fifty seven. Uh, we'll just call it a flat sixteen. Uh, the proliferation of the Premier League here in America has been one thing, but on the same. Uh, on the same token, uh, the NFL is really, really grabbing a hold in the UK, and the Rams and the Giants, uh, the Rams have sort of been a mainstay for these things, um, and and I, I think the Giants have just such an interesting roster of names that there, there's definite star power there. So but I want to start out with... Uh, Kicking it over to Joe, and I'm going to let him sort of get this whole interview process started, and then we will go from there. So, Joe, what is the first thing you want to ask the man? Yeah, good stuff. Uh, let's throw this out there, by the way, at Big Blue View, at Valentine underscore Ed, if you guys want to hit the uh, EV. The OG, the OG <laughs> on uh, Twitter. <laughs> And usually for the Q&A, and I, I know we're working on uh, that stuff, we'll, we'll get it on each other's site. I, I usually start small and, and then end up big. I start with, you know, the details of the offense, defense, rookies, and then I end up big picture. Because you're from the first generation of SB Nation site founders, let, let's do big picture. You, you've been around the block. You've covered uh, what we haven't covered at Tarshall Times. You've covered playoffs. You've covered uh, successful teams. You've covered winning seasons. We've never done that. Now, now that you're, you've got the perspective of you know being at the top, Super Bowl victories, and uh, where you guys are now, wh- where do you feel the franchise is? I mean, I know obviously Eli Manning is getting close to whenever the date is that he has to hang it up. You've already made that decision with Tom Coughlin and started with the Ben McAdoo era. Wh- where is the franchise, and how do you feel about the trajectory of things overall? Well, that's a really interesting question. The franchise is for me at a very interesting, very difficult point because, as you said, Eli Manning is now 35 years old. He is still playing at a very high level. You know, he's always a controversial figure because he's not Tom Brady. He's not his brother, Peyton. You know, he's not, you know, a historically, you know, top five quarterback but he's a very good player, and, and you can win Super Bowls with the guy. He's and, proven and that. Can I ask, just interject one quick question? Just pure curiosity for me. You said it, and I wanted to give you a little bit, see if you were going to expand on it. But 
what makes Eli controversial? I mean, this is I, I, I'm not making fun here. This is the first time I've ever heard anybody say that. But then again, this is my first season fully covering the NFL coming over from college. So I'm just curious, what makes him controversial? Well, the reason I say that is, I mean, he's not a controversial personality, but throughout his career and throughout my time, you know, at Big Blue View, there's always the, you know, what exactly is Eli Manning? Is he elite? Is he a great player? Is he a good player? How long before the Giants have to replace him? There's always some discussion of of what Eli Manning is. You know, is he a top-tier quarterback? Is he a middle-of-the-road guy? Is he a Hall of Famer? You know, what is he? So in that sense, there's always discussion about Eli. You know, back to the original question, the thing about it is that, you know, the Giants now haven't made the playoffs in four years. They won that Super Bowl at the end of 2011. They had a great, you know, season-ending run win that Super Bowl, missed the playoffs the next year. Uh, they had a winning record but missed the playoffs. The last three seasons, they've been under 500. They're at a point where I look at the Giants and think, if they don't maximize the last few years of, of Eli Manning's, you know, the productive portion of his career, if they don't maximize those things and, and get to the playoffs – you know, franchise quarterbacks, and you guys know this, franchise quarterbacks don't come along and when you, you know, all the time. And when you get one, they're not easy to replace. So you could be looking at, if they can't maximize the next couple of years, you could be looking at a long, dark period of football for the Giants. And that's why I think the next couple of years are really important. Yeah, one of the things that when, when you say controversial, I, I always look at, uh, you know, career totals only because this current era is so skewed. And, you know, <clears throat> one of the players that I always think it's short, short shrift when we're talking about the Hall of Fame is Steven Jackson, a running back who's playing in a passing era. You know, people talk about Eli Manning as, like you said, questioning top tier elite, whatever, you know, cliched word or phrase you want to use there. When you look at the all-time passing yards, and obviously the 2004 season was a huge one, you had Carson Palmer coming off of the 2013, excuse me, 2003 NFL draft, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning. All four of those guys really entered the league at the same time. Carson Palmer's 15th in passing yards all time, Philip Rivers 13th, Ben Roethlisberger's 11th, Eli Manning has two Super Bowls and his 10th all-time in passing yards. That seems like the kind of thing, like, yeah, I bet there are a lot of people who bristle when you say, you know, Eli Manning and Hall of Fame, and there are people who can't even consider that. If you look at the career numbers, there's a there's a really valid argument to make there. Yeah, that was actually going to be my question to you, uh, Ed, was I was going to ask you, how, how do you see Eli Manning's career? Because as I look at it, one of those Super Bowls, I mean, it speaks for itself. You, you don't... There's really nothing you can do to, to underscore a win over a previously undefeated team in the Super Bowl. There's 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 absolutely nothing you can say about in the roster that he did it with too. Um, I, I wouldn't say it was as loaded, but the one thing about that Super Bowl is it was very blue collar, with the exception of Randy Moss and and, and Tom Brady. Um, 
But the, the, the second Super Bowl, again, over the Patriots, done in a similar fashion, you didn't have the undefeated record on the line. But you had Eli and Tom meeting up again. And, and for whatever reason, you know, the, the football gods said, okay, Peyton, we're going to give you all the records, the accolades, the Papa John's commercials. But Eli, you're going to get the important victories over Tom. And, and I think those things can't be understated. If Tom Brady's going into the Hall of Fame with four Super Bowls, it's worth noting that the only reason he doesn't have six is because Eli took them away from him. Oh, exactly. You know, let's put the whole Eli debate in Hall of Fame terms because the way – this is something that I've written about at Big Blue View and that we've talked about on other occasions. After 2011, after he had this, after he had two Super Bowls and two Super Bowl MVPs that he deserved, you know, I would have looked at Eli and said, you know, there's a lot more great football to play. You know, the Giants are a good team. They're going to be back in the playoffs again. I would have looked at, at Eli and said, yeah, he's, He's going to the Hall of Fame. Four years later, you know, he's compiled some nice numbers now. You know, as you said, in this passing era, you you can't compare numbers to what the guys did 20, 30 years ago. If you look at it right now, last week against the Ravens was the 100th regular season victory of Eli Manning's career. He also, in that game, he passed John Elway for career touchdown passes. I think he's now sixth or seventh on the all-time list with 302, I think it is now. When you look at the numbers, 100 career victories, 300 touchdown passes, two Super Bowl titles, every other quarterback who has compiled those numbers is now in the Hall of Fame. Uh, The question is, and the thing that I've said is, the more losing seasons that the Giants have, the farther away that they get from being a a good team, a team that makes the playoffs on some sort of consistent basis, I think the argument for putting Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame gets weaker each season that they don't make the playoffs. So definitely don't trade him to the Rams then down the line. <laughs> uh, Joe, Joe, the minute he said not making the playoffs and, I, you know, the little, that little bit of mediocrity, I could just see the smile on your face glowing, growing like the Grinch, you know, when he realizes that he can steal Christmas from Whoville. So go on and get in there and talk about playoffs. It's a team game. No, <laughs> here's what I'd say, man. And I want to bring it to this game. So I was, I was trying to tabulate while you were talking, Ed. I think I counted eight 400-yard passing games for Eli Manning. All of them, the first one coming in the 2011 season. The, the reality is, like you mentioned, this just isn't the same football game that was being played. And you said, what? I think you said 40, 30 years ago. It's not really even the same football game that was being played 20 years ago. Um, you know, it, it took 
a bunch of rule changes and some strategic changes to kind of modify the game. Uh, and, and that's kind of that should be changing how we look at stats. Before we get into the game, I'll give you a chance to respond to that because I think it's important in, in terms of how we view, uh, you know, passing games moving forward. And the Rams haven't really had one since the greatest show on turf, but obviously you guys might have the benefit of trying to usher in a new perspective on that kind of stuff with Elon Manny. Well, I, I agree on the whole statistical perspective. You can't look at simple at Eli Manning and just look at the numbers and say, oh, 300 touchdown passes, 100 career victories. You can't just look at the numbers and say that, you know, that the yardage numbers or whatever make him a Hall of Famer because the game is different than it was, you know, even 10, 15, 20 years ago. You can't compare eras. You have to look at how guys stack up against their peers, you know, during the time period in which they've played. You know, and, and there's probably, you know, I I will never, you can never take away the things that Eli Manning has done in those two Super Bowls. And, and when, you, when it comes right down to it, he's probably the best quarterback in, in Giants franchise history. With, with all my apologies, Apologies to to Phil Sims fans out there. You know, I'll take Eli. But how many of those years has Eli been, you know, a top five quarterback in the league? How many of those years has he been in the MVP discussion? As I said, the farther away the Giants get from playing winning football, the harder it is for me to make an argument, you know, that, that Eli gets enshrined in Canton someday. And I... I just want to touch on one last thing, and Joe, you can kick us off with the football thing, but I've always been curious about this, and there, I, I've talked about this in so many different other facets, because you look at an owner like Stan Kroenke, and, and we've talked about it here on, on TST Radio, where Kroenke seems to be kind of a hands-off, hands-on guy. He's hands-on when it comes to raking in the money. But he's hands-off when it comes to putting a winning product on the field. It's sort of... I, I heard this said about Arsenal, one of his other properties, where, you know, people say Arsenal are a, a good football team, but they are a great business. And, and no the, point, the point there is, is, is not to, to, to slight one or the other. It's just that the focus with Kroenke tends to be business. Now, on the other side, you talk about people in eras. How much of this, and I'm not trying to, 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 to throw shade at Tom Coughlin. This is purely sociological for me. You look at Tom Coughlin and the fact that, that that ownership stuck with him, maybe when they shouldn't have, maybe when they should have. I don't know. It's really not for me to say. Uh, uh, you know, I didn't follow the Giants as heavily during those years, so I, I, I don't know that I could have a feeling one way or the next toward Tom Coughlin, other than he certainly gave the Giants back something that they could that they could be proud of. But you look at the way that that that, that the Maras run the organization, and and to me. The Roomies and the Maras are the single two best ownership groups that I think you should you can have. But within it even being a contemporary era that, in which Eli is playing, he's sort of got a non-contemporary ownership group. Uh, there aren't too many people who will stick with their head football coaches quite like those two organizations. 
There have been plenty of times where you could have looked at Mike Tomlin and said he needs to go. But these two owners just operate in a different time and date. How much of that has hurt Eli? How much of that may help Eli? Do you see what I'm saying here? Am I making sense? Yeah, I, I get where you're going. I think that what's really hurt the Giants over the last few years and hurt Eli is the fact that the Giants and I don't I you know I don't blame Coughlin for this because Coughlin didn't choose the personnel in the draft and in free agency the Giants pretty much had from around 2009 maybe 2010 to about 2013 they pretty much had a black hole in terms of of draft productivity where where they got uh, very, very little, especially I think 2010 to 2012, they got very little out of the draft. Um, you know, the, the roster went from being a, a championship caliber roster, you know, to being a roster that, that deserved to be a sub 500 team. I don't know if that's ownership. I don't know if, you know, one of the things about the Giants ownership is, I think George Young became general manager of the Giants back in 1979. And I think the, the, the Giants have only had three general managers since then. Both of the previous general managers left on their own. They don't fire general managers. They're very conservative and very patient in terms of firing coaches. You know, sometimes those things are good. That patience, you know, that that ability to kind of stay the course. Sometimes those things are good, but sometimes you also need to, you know, to look in the mirror and realize that things aren't working, you know, and that you need to do something else. So maybe that hurts Eli. Maybe, you know, maybe it's over the last couple of years, maybe they've been a little bit too patient. I hope that's starting to change, you know, with the new coaching staff and, and, you know, going out and making a free agent splash like they did in the off season. You know, I would think there's if they don't make the playoffs. You had to go there, didn't you? You had to go there, huh? Yeah, I did. (laughs) I did. But no, if they don't make the playoffs, I would think Jerry Reese is probably there's going to be a lot of calls for Jerry to be uh, to be replaced. Let's do that. Let's uh, let's hit the free agency tab just real quick. Uh, I don't want to take too much of your time, and I did look it up. By the way, just for historical perspective, and I think this is great. The Eight players, eight quarterbacks in the history of the NFL have thrown for 400 yards in a game uh, eight times or more. Seven of them are from this era. Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Carson Palmer, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, and Eli Manning. The only one who wasn't in this era was Dan Marino. So that's a good uh, indication. And, and not only that, those eight players who threw for eight more, only Dan Marino, Peyton Manning, and Drew Brees threw for more than a dozen. So it's uh, it's one of those things that I think, especially as we gain a lot of younger uh listeners and readers and viewers and thumb tappers. And just say I'd argue a lot of those guys on that list too are, are Hall of Fame bound. Drew Brees probably Hall of Fame bound. Uh Philip Rivers is an on the fence kind of guy for me. Well, just, and that's the that's the question is 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 it as impressive as it was before? And I, I the answer's clearly not, but I think the question is where the threshold lies. The threshold for this game, uh this week, is something completely different. 
apron. And, uh, you know, obviously one of the storylines is going to be a matchup of a certain former Rams, Norris Jenkins, who was uh, praised by Jeff Fisher this week, obviously tabbed by general manager Les Snead as part of priority a re-signing the secondary, which can only be seen as a failure this last offseason and a failure that, uh, was exploited by the Giants. And I just want to know, I mean, we talked about it in the email thread. I know you guys are working up something at some point. How, how would you describe Janoris Jenkins, uh, you know, contributions to the Giants at this point, obviously, as a big signing, as an expensive signing? He's got a lot to live up to, and you can't really do that in just six weeks in year one of a deal like the one he signed. Uh, how do you guys feel about it thus far? Well, I, I need to apologize to you first because I know you asked me about uh whether I was working on something about Jennings and I did actually publish uh, a Jennings piece this morning and which actually goes into some detail on, on my thoughts on, on Jenk on Jenkins, the giants signed Janoris Jenkins to, I think it was $62 million contract with almost 29 million guaranteed. They signed Olivier Vernon, to an $85 million contract, and they signed Damon Harrison to, I think, a $46 million contract. For me, you know, thus far, I thought Jenkins was the biggest gamble of the bunch, simply because I thought they paid him as a shutdown corner, they paid him as a Pro Bowl caliber corner, and while he had been a good player, he hadn't been that player, you know, when he was with the Rams. For me, sure. of the three guys that he's that they signed so far, he's easily been the best acquisition thus far. He's been tremendous. He's played. Uh, he's been most weeks. He'll take the opposition's best guy. He's playing both sides. Uh, he's playing. He's playing really good football. He's been a, a godsend for a secondary that's on its third starting free safety. It's had uh, both Eli Apple and Dominique Rogers Cromartie banged up and missing some time. Um, so, you know, he's been the one constant, and he's played really, really well. I wanted to, I mean, I know we should be talking a little bit more about the game, but I wanted to ask about this because Eli Apple is a guy that prior to the Rams moving up to number one when they were slated at number 15, you saw a lot of attachment to uh, uh, the Rams simply because there were question marks surrounding the Rams' ability to to keep all three of those guys, McLeod, Jenkins, and Johnson, all in that secondary. As it turned out, they were barely able to keep one of them and had to do so at an expensive tab. Um but Eli Apple, man, has has just been one of going back. Joe and I are college ball aficionados, and I, I've loved that dude's game since I I can remember watching him. Um, I know that he's been limited. Do you expect him to to be out there this week? And and outside of that. What's Apple been like as a draft pick opposite Rodgers Cromartie? I know, like you said, there have been some injury issues there, but, but where do you cap the future on somebody like Apple? Oh, there's a bunch of questions in there. Um, let me answer this week first. He's been dealing with a groin injury. He had a hamstring injury before that. 
I would expect that if he plays at all this week, he'll play very limited number of snaps. Um, he tried to play two weeks ago in Minnesota and lasted about seven snaps before he had to come out of the game. So I'm not sure how healthy he is at this point and how much the Giants can get from him. As to your last question, what do I really think the ceiling is for Eli Apple? I think Eli Apple is not far, not far from being a guy who, within a couple of years, is going to be a perennial Pro Bowl type player. I think mm. the kid has the kid has an immense amount of talent. Um, I think that one of the things that tells you what the Giants think of him, um, we know that, you know, Dominique Rogers Cromartie has maybe not been the best cornerback in the league for several years, but he's always been considered to be among the best guys in the league. Sure. The plan this year for the Giants before they suffered, you know, some injuries in their secondary, their plan was to move Dominique Rogers Cromartie to the slot to make room for Eli Apple. Oh, and that, tell, that tells you a lot about what they think of Eli Apple. That sure does, man. I, yeah, I just I love his game. I thought that New York was going to be just a solid land for him. And, and you know, if, if the Giants at any point can get he and Rogers Cromartie working uh, – you know, or that entire secondary working well together, uh, that that could that could be a team that you literally can't pass the ball on. Like that's well, just terrifying. It's interesting. I do want to say one thing about Eli Apple winding up with the Giants. When Eli Apple wound up with the Giants in the draft, um, the the pretty much overwhelming reaction of of the Giants fan base was, you know, what did they do that for? Um, I think it was Vernon Hargraves who by most draft analysts was rated as the number one corner and Eli Apple was rated as the number two corner and the Giants chose hey. Eli Apple. I think Mackenzie Alexander wasn't far off, man. I got to throw Mackenzie hmm. Alexander there too at the time. You know, and everybody expected when the draft came, everybody expected the Giants to wind up with either Leonard Floyd, who wound up going to Chicago, or, you know, with the ninth pick, or Jack Conklin, who wound up going, um, you know, with the eighth pick. So everybody felt like the Giants were left holding the bag because they didn't get one of the two guys that they wanted. Uh, you know, and I think that, you know, we see now that, you know, long term, this is a kid with with a tremendous amount of of ability who has who has a chance to be really good. Let me do, let me do a quick back to back question, and then I'll let Josh get in. <clears throat> Excuse me, one more, and then I'll wrap it up. Uh, quick back to back. If you could, and I know this is asking a lot, Ed, uh, summarize the offense and the defense uh, to this point. How do you feel about the offensive side as a unit? How do you feel about the defense? What do Rams fans need to know? Offensively. The Giants, obviously, we know, you know, we talked a lot about Eli. They have the three wide receivers, Odell Beckham, Sterling Shepard, Victor Cruz. Um, you would think that with those three wide receivers, you would think 
that they would simply be lighting up secondaries, um, you know, that they'd be putting up a lot of points, um, you know, that they'd be, that Eli would be throwing for 300, 350 yards every week. And for whatever reason, that hasn't been the case so far this year. I mean, basically until they sort of exploded last week and Odell went off and had, I think it was 211 yards receiving in the second half last week against Baltimore, you know, that explosion, that explosive offense hadn't been there. Um, Part of that is simply because the Giants haven't run the ball well so far this year. They haven't run it consistently. Those teams have just kind of sat back and, and, you know, played extra guys, you know, deeper in the secondary and played a lot of, a lot of too high and, and a lot of, uh, a lot of double teaming, you know, on the outside and, and tried to, tried to keep everything in front of them. So we'll see if the Giants can come up with some creative ways to, uh, to attack that and, and see if they can run the ball a little bit better to, uh, to force teams to, to put extra guys in the box. I think, you know, Minnesota shut down the Giants running game with, with six guys in the box. And, you know, how are you going to pass if, if you can't run when, you know, when, when the defense is playing, you know, with, with six, with only six guys in the box. But, uh, you know, defensively, the flip side, defensively, Injuries aside, the Giants have played really, really well in the secondary. Uh, Janoris Jenkins has been good. Rogers Cromartie's been good when he's been on the field. Landon Collins, who they drafted a year ago, Landon Collins has stepped up. Another outstanding pick, BT Dub. That was another kid I loved. He he had a rough. He had kind of a rough go as a rookie, um, but he has really stepped up this year. He's He's a tremendous player. Um, the thing that the Giants have not been able to do so far this year is rush the passer. They are dead last in the league in sacks. Um, they're just not getting much pass rush. Olivier Vernon is playing, you know, with a wrist injury that's limiting him. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul is ever going to be a dominating player again. They've struggled to rush the passer. So we'll see if they can um, if they can figure out how to do that. It's a good defense, could be a great defense if they can figure out how to get some consistent pressure on the passer. Let me get this one in, and then uh, <clears throat> I'll let Josh get his last question for you. Um, something that maybe, and uh, I'm not sure how to phrase this. How about this? Something you've been surprised at the first uh, six weeks that looking at the Giants on paper, uh, fans of the Rams and other teams, uh, especially outside the NFC East, wouldn't know about the Giants. And then kind of the opposite. What's been a surprise that you didn't expect that has been something that's popped up, good or bad? Well, I think think that the bad surprise is probably – you know, the one that that I already touched on in terms of the passing game, that they simply haven't been able to consistently with those three outstanding wide receivers that they have, they haven't been able to consistently get guys open uh, and, and make plays with those three guys down the field. Um, I've been surprised, you know, that teams have been able to to find you know ways to shut those guys down 
And I'm a little bit surprised, you know, knowing Ben McAdoo's pedigree, you know, as an offensive coordinator and as a, a good offensive coach, I'm a little bit surprised, you know, that, that to this point he's kind of struggled to make an adjustment to, uh, you know, to, to get more, you know, from those three guys on a consistent basis. On the flip side, I think, uh, you know, I've been really surprised. The Giants are on their they're on their third free safety of the season. They're using an undrafted free agent at this point, Andrew Adams out of uh, out of UConn, uh, with Eli Apple down. I mean, Darian Thompson and Nat Burhey, the first two sa- the first two free safeties have been hurt. As I said, Eli Apple and Dominique Rogers Cromarty have been you know playing banged up or, or missing time altogether. I've been really, really surprised, you know, on, a, on the good side that the Giants secondary has held up as well as it has. I was going to uh, try and come up with some great, you know, just amazingly uh, 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 well thought out question that we could get you out of here on. And as you can tell by me trying to put together that sentence, that's about how well it went. What's your favorite uh, color, Ed? Exactly. Now, I, but then it dawned on me that sometimes kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. So my final question to you is just simply going to be this. How do you see the game playing out on Saturday? You got one team that can't pass the ball. Uh, the Rams are a team that really know how to get uh, after the passer. Uh, and, and, and as far as the def- defensive line, there's at least some positive news coming. Um, <clears throat> and then on the flip side, you've got an offense that is impotent, impotent, impotent. Uh, but at the same time, they can't seem to run the ball. So I kind of feel like this is one of those things where it could just be a fantastically crappy game of football played in London after just a tremendously long flight with with two teams that should be better at some things and somehow aren't. Well, let, let me answer that this way. I think on paper, if you look at the matchup, I think think you know the Giants should win a game that's not going to be a blowout game I you know I I would pick the Giants if I was going to put money down but there are two things about this game on Sunday that scare me right now from the Giants perspective the first one is we saw last week from the Giants perspective Odell Beckham went five fairly pedestrian games by his standards and then put up an absolutely historic performance last Sunday. You guys have a guy named Todd Gurley. I know darn well that Todd Gurley is a whole lot better than a guy that should be averaging 2.9 yards per carry. Um, And I know the Giants have a good run defense, but I know darn well that sooner or later a breakout game for Todd Gurley is coming. Um, and if that comes on Sunday against the Giants, that changes everything. Uh, you know, if the Giants control Gurley, then 
you know, then I think they control the game because they control the Los Angeles offense. If Gurley's running wild, then it's a whole different story. And you just know that sooner or later that that's going to happen. Uh, the other thing that scares me is this. The Rams have been in London since Monday morning. The Giants Giants are on a plane right now heading to London. And that bugs me a little bit just in terms of the the adjustment, you know, the, the jet lag, the time frame, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it bothers me, you know, that the Rams basically have a three or four day head start on, on getting adjusted to being in that surrounding. And the, and the accommodations for the Rams, while accommodations are normally better, look, Cronky's other team, Arsenal, the one that he owns, is based in London. When, when, when I say the Rams will be living in unbelievable conditions in London for like, from Monday until the day of the game, there's no understating how important that is. Uh, especially when it comes to that travel. I didn't realize the Giants were boarding a plane this late into the week. Yep. They boarded a plane plane at 8 o'clock Thursday night. Oh, my God. Uh, And the Rams flew out out straight from Detroit. They didn't go back to Los Angeles. Uh, Here's here's what I would say is that uh, if there's anything, Ed, to make you feel better – the idea that the Rams were getting accustomed, uh, they were getting accustomed more to marketing the team than they were to football. Mm, uh, true. They, 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 were doing a gr- they were doing a great job selling the idea of the Rams and, and the NFL to London than they were getting ready for the game. I don't, I don't know that you guys have lost any uh, ground on them. But jo- Josh struggled with a good question for you. I don't, I don't have that kind of shame. I, I'm a garbage person working on a garbage <laughs> podcast with a good co-host and a good producer. What's your what's your favorite color, Ed? Oh my god! I gotta give you Giants blue. I gotta give you that. <laughs> See what? Uh, well, here's my question: What's the difference between Giants blue and Rams blue? I don't know. Choose your words yeah, Giants, carefully. Giants, choose your words. Giants, choose your because if you if you use the wrong <laughs> if you use blue, the wrong words, you're gonna lose the whole Giants, interview. Giants blue comes with Super Bowl rings. Oh, oh no! <laughs> Good stuff, man. Happy <laughs> Valentine, everybody. <laughs> they got a ring, and it goes on a finger that's that right. sticking up. You right. watch your mouth. <laughs> that's right. Ed Valentine, everybody. This is good stuff. Thanks for coming on with us, Ed. Hey, yeah. thank you for having me. <laughs> Ed Valentine, everybody. Editor at Big Blue View. Give him a follow. That's Valentine underscore Ed. Uh, Big Blue View for the team over there at BBV, uh, SB Nations. Community for fans of the New York Giants. That's good stuff, man. Good to have him on. Yeah, it uh, it doesn't get much better than when you're able to go through uh, an overview of the game like that and also wrap up a little history of, of some fascinating storylines because New York is nothing if not somewhat similar to Los Angeles in that there is a very regimented way of doing things that come from the top and they have no interest in changing at all anytime soon. Well, and if yeah. you think 
you're going to get that man or that ownership group to change. Like, you're either the most insane person in the world or just want to fight and exercise in, in futility because it's not going to happen. So, the uh, well, the thing is, they come from opposite sides of the spectrum, too. Yeah, is that sure. the, the Maras the, have come have operated his you have to say historically because this is a ownership group that goes back you know to the beginning to the the origins of the nfl as opposed to stan Kroenke, right who came in six years ago uh, and is com- part of a completely different uh whatever you, you could say click maybe that's what the word we need to find this like high school it's a different click a what the maras also gave us kate mara Sure, I don't, I don't, I don't know that that has much to do with Sunday or the NFL, but that's definitely true. Actress slash like musician, like she's just a super talented woman. Like, just always been one of my favorite actresses. Uh, and and yeah, Cronky didn't give us anything like that. Yeah, you got to give him time. He's still in his prime. No, here, here's what I'd say, man. It's uh, you know, it's good to talk history with uh, uh, somebody like Ed because he's got the perspective of covering a Super Bowl and then this kind of dead period since where they haven't even made the playoffs despite having a franchise quarterback, which is relatively rare, right? Usually, when you've got somebody that's an unquestioned quarterback, you're finding some success. Yeah, at least once every two, something, I mean, something better than what the Rams have found, and they're in the same boat as the Rams since Fisher got hired. They haven't haven't been in the mix in the playoffs the last four years, and I just find it interesting that, um, you know, these two teams are where they are. They don't play each other all that often, and so to do so, and especially over in London, I think is really interesting, but I think uh, more interesting is what the fans got at us to answer, and Josh, I'll let you... uh, Before we get there, I want to talk about one quick thing with you. We'll keep it quick because we're already almost at the hour mark, so we're going to do some lightning rounds on on some of these questions, but I want to ask you now that he's gone, because I don't think, well, Not that he wouldn't be honest. That's not what I'm trying to imply here. I don't know if Ed would be as willing to admit how, I mean, actually, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and take that back. I think behind closed doors, Ed would probably have very few choice words to say about the Giants choosing to leave so late. Well, much of an advantage because this thing sort of reminds me of when Cain Velasquez thought it would be a good idea to go train in Mexico like you know four days before his fight with Fabricio Verdum who was like I'm going to go and live in Mexico for three months and get acclimated to the altitude and we all saw what happened to Cain Velasquez in that fight so this reminds me of that like this is at least one thing that i can say i think jeff fisher is doing right get him out there get him acclimated to the climate the time change and everything good call here's what i'd say and then This is what we went, what we talked about going back to that podcast. I think it was in week three preview talking about the idea if the Rams win 13 games, how do you feel about the offense? The result, the end justifies the means, right? If the Giants win this game, nobody's going to give a shit when the teams went out there. What they're going to say is clearly it didn't matter. 
that the Rams and got And you sure wasted a lot of time doing press instead of getting the team of ready course. for the game, which was the whole point yeah. of going out there to, in the first place, you know? Absolutely. And, and consider that Jeff Fisher wants, to, for whatever reason, that hasn't been well explained, right? At least with any logic. Hasn't been explained why he wants to be on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday practice schedule. This week, they changed it. So the idea that they went out there to get acclimated, they even changed the practice schedule to go to a conventional Wednesday, Thursday, Friday practice schedule. If the Rams win, then yeah, you can bring up the idea that the Rams got out there, they got acclimated, they did all this stuff, and and, and they get the benefit of the doubt. On the other side, if the Giants win, you say, well, why did the Rams spend all this time getting out there early just to do all these promotional activities on, and it's not just for the Rams, it's uh, on the behalf of the NFL, Right? Yeah, they did yeah, all these on Monday and Tuesday and all this stuff to get out in front and sell the league and sell the NFL and sell the Shield and sell Goodell and do all this stuff and push their practices back to a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday schedule that A, they don't usually do, but B, they certainly don't usually do in the time frame that they're doing it because it's on the other side of the earth. Yeah, it, it really comes down to the end justifying the means, and we'll, we'll have to see. But no doubt, I mean, the, the fact that he's – and you could, you could tell – He's worried about it, right? He's uh, yeah. Uh, by I think, it, I think with good reason. Sure, but at the same time, I think he underestimates the fisherness of Jeff Fisher, like you and I are about to talk about. But let's get into some of those listener questions. I'm actually going to hit you with a fun one. I'm going to hit you with a fun one first. I am grabbing one from. Before we get to the first question, let me say this. I think there's a difference between somebody like Ed, who is part of a team that has consistently and historically demanded success and demanded win, and you stray from the conventional approach, it feels uncomfortable, versus the Rams, who haven't had a winning season from 2003, at which point it doesn't matter what you try. If you want to go, if you want to switch the practice schedule up, if you want to get people up at 4 a.m. versus 12, you know, versus noon, if you want to do whatever, it doesn't matter because we don't have anything to lean on as Rams fans. They've got this idea in the back of their head that Eli Manning's won two Super Bowls. They've got this offensive capability. They got all this stuff we can do. Rams don't have. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really what it is. They have things to lean on, and we don't. So, with that said, let's get into the listening question. All right, so. This question, I don't think you're going to have anything to lean on. But your boy Hayes Nelson wants to know, why is your team ruining Georgia's favorite running back, Todd Gurley? (laughs) And he put question mark, exclamation point, question mark. So he's serious as shit, man. He wants to know what the hell the Rams are doing to Todd Gurley. Uh, Defend him. It's the, it's the, I can't. I'm sorry, Hayes. It's a. It is what it is, man. It, it, you know, uh, we, we got the same thing from Auburn fans when they drafted Trey Mason and then cannibalized well, I think them. It was a bust to begin with. I never thought Trey Mason Thanks. was getting an NFL back. Here's what I'd say: he wasn't a bust in his rookie season. He wasn't a bust before Todd Gurley got there. Once Todd Gurley got there. It erased any value that you could possibly have from a third-round pick who was going to be a backup running back, you know, competing against Bunny, Benny Cunningham. The, the bigger problem wasn't necessarily one of Trey Mason. It's why did you spend a third-round pick on a running back when you already had running backs and then draft another one at 10 overall, right? Yeah. That, 
that's not necessarily central to Hayes' question. To his question, why are we ruining him? Because fans, man. Like no, it really is. That's what it is. Is that look? You got Oklahoma fans. I hear from Oklahoma fans all the time about Sam Bradford, who say, "Look, now that he's in Minnesota, okay. look, the Rams tried to ruin him, and I'm, I don't, I don't know what to say. It's not my fault. I didn't okay. do it. I'm not you complicit. Said, first I apologize all, on behalf let, of all Rams fans." I just want to say this, man. Oklahoma fans can say whatever the hell they want, but Los Angeles didn't ruin Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford's crappy (laughs) coming out of Oklahoma two years in a row ruined Sam Bradford. Like, maybe the fact that he didn't get so much playing time is actually the reason that he's doing well. But I'll tell you what, man. When he gets hit something good in that shoulder again, We'll see you. Send us your tweets then. Uh, here's what I'm going to steal from you is now that everybody says, hey, Sam Bradford. Oh, no, no, no. That was the St. Louis Rams. These are the Los Angeles Rams. We're not responsible for any of that anymore. We've yeah, we've moved on. The, all of the Trey Masons, Hank Stacey, Sam Bradford, Isaiah Peed, every, everybody that failed the last four years. That doesn't count, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're just going to hear one of those formal – the Los Angeles Rams did not accept any responsibility whatsoever for the following players. And then the NFL shield and turns around and then immediately fade black. I love it. Man, we could make movies. We could make movies. All right. So, Excellence281, who is a Rams fan, which, I mean, Excellence281. (laughs) We need to talk. Excellence. (laughs) How can you be a Rams fan with a handle like Excellence281? Like, uh, man, we applaud you. We applaud you. other things that are going on in his life that are excellent. How about that? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. He's got so many good things going. Uh, they have so many uh, good things going on in their life that they don't have to worry about a paltry three and three team. That's how good that's they got it. Here. That's why we're here, to help them through the weekend. Yes. He goes, have you guys watched the coach's film of a failed fourth and one? If so... Mm-hmm. Whose fault was it? There was a hole to the left. I think is what he meant to say. There was a hole left. Um, it's tough. What were you going to say? I said, I have not watched the coach's film of it. I've watched it many times. Here's part of the problem is that it's very difficult oftentimes to deduce the play call uh, based on the execution. Right. So a, a lot of what goes on in football in general, but certainly at the NFL level, is reactive play calling. So, for example, you take this play, the fourth and one at the end of the first half, you know, inches away. Todd Gurley isn't necessarily supposed to go one way or the other. The decision on where he goes may be based on a multitude of factors. It may be based on whether or not a man in motion helps deduce whether the defense is in man or zone. It may be based on how many linebackers there are. It may be based on once the ball is snapped and the, the guard goes and mo- in, uh, gets pulled to the outside, which is what Excellence was referring to. We had the right guard pull. Jamon Brown and starts kicking out to the left side, which helped open this little gap. If he had pulled it all the way into the C gap or even D gap, all the way on the outside, there was space there. But his read may be predicated on all these other factors 
that we don't really necessarily notice because we just say, look, the guard pulled to the left. There was space over there. You should have gone over there. At the same time, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. If he had scored a touchdown, nobody would care where the play was designed to go necessarily, right? If the play was designed to go left and he goes up the gut and he scores, nobody gives a shit because you know, all that matters like we said, yes. the ends define the means. And because this end didn't define the means, I think part of the problem is that we're asking about the coaches, the play call. I would say this. I don't know whether it was designed to go outside or up the middle. The bottom line is they got to execute. They have to execute. Greg Robinson missed a key block on that play. And this is a number two overall pick in his third year that shouldn't be doing that. That's the kind of play not Todd Gurley a number 10 overall pick the number two overall pick in the 2014 NFL draft Greg Robinson should be the kind of caliber player that you can lean on in fourth and one from the goal line to say I'm gonna run up his ass and I'm gonna get in the end zone and the fact that the Rams can't do that that's maybe a bigger problem than necessarily the fact that they're having to pull guards do this and all this other stuff that they don't have a go-to play that they can execute. Jeff Fisher said, this is our identity, Josh, after that play, after the game, he said, this is our identity. He meant the play call. He meant the fact that they need to be able to run the ball in from fourth and one. The problem is that play failed. That's the identity is that Mm -hmm. they still can't get four and one on a rushing play in the end zone. That's part of the identity too. And that's the problem. Yep, yep, I would agree. And I'll give you a pass on, on that. That that was more of a thunder answer, a, a rolling thunder answer. Uh, but, but you know what, though? There's really no way to answer that question with go, without going into that kind of depth. If the average NFL fan knew how many plays were designed to go elsewhere. Like, it's exactly like you ha- you said. People almost have this Madden-like mentality, like, find the hole, hit the hole. Like, no, nah, that's not quite how it works. Sometimes you got to be patient, let your lead blocker open up a secondary hole so that people think you missed the first hole, but the entire time it was for you to get to that second hole where if you can make it, if you can be patient and everybody else yep. does their job, in theory, boom, you're gone. Because everybody else thought that you just missed the first hole. But it was never meant to go there. I mean, but I'm thinking on my responsibility. I, I, I meant to break down the film on that this week, and I just didn't get around to it. So that's on me. Excellence. I apologize. Continue to be excellent. Apologies on behalf of all of the Rams Nation, the Ramily, if we detract from your excellence moving forward. Lightning round is a go. Let's do it, Doug. Daniel Matola. I almost said Motorola. Uh, Daniel Matola wants to know, is Jamon Brown now the full-time starter? Well, we don't know. Hey, he got <laughs> added to the injury report today. Again, this is on Thursday night when we're recording this. Uh, he picked up an injury in uh, practice today. Uh, you know, he's only coming on for Cody Wickman because of injury, who had missed the previous game and didn't get any time last week, despite the fact Jamon Brown, for people who are, you know, just coming into the team and not really sure, Jamon Brown was the third round pick uh, two years ago. Uh, his rookie year played as the starting guard before getting an injury that forced him to miss about uh, the second half of the season. Um, is he the full time starter now? I would say no. But I would also say we sure as hell don't know because I don't think we've had a lot of certainty at that position 
outside of the fact that Wickman was uh, inserted there. And so we'll have to see. It's the hand injury. It's listed as a hand injury. He Because he injured it today, he was listed as limited. We'll have to see what the Friday injury status is. And, you know, if it's anything beyond questionable. Part duty. of the problem is that this year. Yeah, part of the problem is that this year the NFL doesn't have a probable designation. And so everything is questionable or worse. So if he is able to go and practice as a limited participant or anything above does not participate, we won't know how severe the injury is until we get to Sunday. So we'll just have to see, man. You know, in terms of his battle with Wickman, again, we mentioned this, and this is something maybe we need to come up with a – a tagline, Josh, or maybe some kind of audio file. That's what we have media for, right? Is to, is, is to ask Fisher face-to-face, is Jamon Brown your starting guard when he and Cody Wickman are both healthy? That, that's something I think we need an answer on. Yeah, that and you pretty much uh, haven't had an answer on that question, as you said, since day one. So it was an unanswered question that is now even more unanswerable due to injuries. But we move on to uh, the next question in the lightning round. Trumaine Doubtful wants, uh, asks, yeah. that was literally the question. Trumaine Doubtful question Trumaine mark Doubtful. from Holden That's a lightning Hansen. round question. Yeah, that so, is yeah, a lightning. Me, so what you got? Trumaine Doubtful? Let me do better at the lightning round. Uh, check back. You know, we'll okay. have to see. Not practice. Trumaine we'll Doubtful. Check back. Friday. <laughs> I would have gone Trumaine Doubtful. Yes. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, any circumstances you foresee this season that JF moves G-Rob inside uh, under Jeff Fisher moves Greg Robinson uh, inside and who would play left tackle? Saffold basically is what no. they're wanting to know. No. They were going to, yeah, I mean, it's a great question, but they've had opportunities to do that. Remember that Garrett Rent, look at the injuries last year. They lost Saffold. They lost, uh, you know, Jamon Brown. They've had the opportunities to move G Rob inside. You you can't keep Saffold healthy and you want to move him to the most physically demanding position on the offensive line. And, And not only that, if the question is, do you want to move him inside because he's not good enough? Why would you do that now if you didn't do it last year? Who, who's yeah. going to the idea to play Saffold? Let somebody else deal with that. it. Sorry yeah. about that. Go ahead. No, no, you're right. The, the, the thing is, there's no bad questions. This isn't about Chris. This is about the Rams approach. They've completely mm-hmm. bungled this. You know, they, they drafted Saffold, put him out at left tackle, shifted him inside, drafted Greg Robinson put him at guard, remember, because Jake Long was at left tackle and started bringing him up in the preseason. And this is what kind of prompted me to write that the, the Rams weren't treating the preseason and training camp like every other NFL team does. If, G, if Greg Robinson was being groomed to be the franchise left tackle, they should have started grooming him at the position as soon as they drafted him. They didn't. They put him at guard. They put him at guard through rookie minicamp and through training camp and through preseason. Then when Jake Long went down, then they kicked him into left tackle and said, okay, welcome to the NFL. Figure it out. That's not, that's not how things work, especially if you have coaches that you trust and you know depend on to groom these guys into their positions. And so the fact that he's struggling now, if you kick him over to guard, that just kind of it, – it's less about Greg Robinson to agree to the fact that you couldn't build him into that position. 
uh, with all the tutelage and all the capital that you spent on him at this point. And so I don't see that happening. Yeah, you know, it, it really doesn't matter because this the fact the fact that Chris is answering the question is the answer in and itself. Basically, that and if it was going to happen, it would have happened before now. So it's it's almost pointless to, to sort of. But it's of, a good question. It's a good question. Yes, it is a very good question. Uh, but but when we say pointless, we mean from the Rams' perspective right now. Like they they should have done more with this sooner, and 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 they wouldn't have as many limited options. Um. What I, we have, uh, uh, the next question, uh, excuse me, uh, comes from Austin Sport. Uh, he wants to know, uh, you think, I, the reason I sound so fumbled over my words, it's a guy, I saw off, so I was doing a little research to see if it was, you know, an Australian, uh, but it just turns out it's a guy at, at, at Georgia State University. Uh, it is. It's a great follow up. So give yeah. give him a follow, Ramsey. Yeah, yeah, he he very well could be um, uh, uh, an Australian. I don't know, but I was kind of hoping maybe we had an actual Aussie uh, sending we a do. question. We yeah, do. I, uh, do this. We got a bye week coming up. Ask me about our international followers because I got to answer for you, Josh. All right. So he wants to know. And this should be a really short answer. Do you think people are going to back off the line a little for Gurley now that the Rams have been pushing, consistent pushing, con- have been consistently pushing the ball ball downfield? Damn Twitter the and those 140 character limits. <laughs> the answer is no. And it, it, two things. Number one, I have I wouldn't say they've been consistently pushing the ball downfield. They, they, Case Keenum, Kenny Britt. Career days last week, that's not necessarily career weeks. Remember, go back a couple weeks, that's not consistent. Uh, the other thing I would say is that this, you know, you're talking about a blip in the radar. The Giants defense is not the Detroit Lions defense. This isn't, you know, apples and apples. This is a bit of apples and oranges. Uh, I don't see why the Giants that don't say any team or people would the Giants back off Gurley and you had it or you heard it from Ed. He doesn't care about Case Keenum. He doesn't care about Kenny Britt. He cares about Todd Gurley. That comes up first and foremost. So no, I don't expect them to back up at, at, at all. If anything, and this might be part of the entertainment draw, I expect to see some really entertaining one-on-one draws with Janoris Jenkins, probably against Kenny Britt. And I think that might be some of the fun, uh, uh, that we see in, in a man-on-man matchup uh, on the outside. Weirik wants to know, penalties have been sky high ever since he t- he took over. I'm assuming he is Jeff Fisher, or no. I have no idea who they didn't mention. Uh, but I, I assume this is a previous conversation is a cap- we had. Is that a capital H-E? Penalties have been sky high. No, no just since God took over? No. <laughs> Uh, no, it just says penalties have been sky high ever since he took over. Why would you want to change that? Oh, uh, I like who asked because, that question? Because nobody wants to be the Raiders. I'll answer that one. Uh-huh. All right, moving on. More than a comment. What's up? Who's the question from? Uh, Way Eric. Way Eric. That's a, that's a good one. Hit us up next week with something more sincere. That was too easy, but yeah. <laughs> why would you, why would you want to change high penalties? Good stuff. 
Uh, Ram Durand has more of a comment. Ram second, uh, Rams rushing on second and eight to 12 yards to go. 16 carries, 33 yards. Passing on second and 10, eight of 12, 77 TD. Why I researched that? Because I'm tired of them running up the middle on second and long. Hashtag drive killer. <laughs> That's perfect. That's it. Who is this? That's a perfect tweet. Ram Durand. <laughs> when did we? When were we talking at the beginning of this podcast? And I mentioned oh the two minute the, the, the two minute drive that you asked about <laughs> because there is running up the middle. This is that is the second and long playbook. That's the playbook, man. That there is no there is no oh shit we're in second and twelve draw up the fifteen yard passing play. There is no fifteen yard passing play. There's a five yard passing play, and if your third read happens to be open downfield for fifteen yards, then maybe you get lucky. Otherwise, it's second and ten. You're going to either run the ball or pass the ball for four yards. This is what they do. The, the idea that second and ten, you can just eviscerate the run from the playbook, that's central to what they're doing. And the reason why is they want you to bite on the run on second and ten. Now, it wasn't until this last game that they really started to take advantage of that. But, the, you know, it, the, the issue isn't that, that they're doing this. It's that it took six weeks to get there, and it took the worst defense in the league to make it possible. Uh that's good research, though. I need to get into that tweet because there's a lot to unpack there, and I appreciate him doing the work for us. Good stuff, Ram Duran. Indeed, and plaudits like that will always be given on air for those who take time to send in awesome stats. What was like the hashtag? You won what was the hashtag? hashtag drive killer. Hashtag we drive killer. We'll start using that for you, Ram. How about that? We will start using Ram's drive killer. Ram Duran drive killer. Um, all right, so the next two questions are, are fairly straightforward. I think maybe the second one more so than the first. But uh, <laughs> I, the way the first is worded, I just... If it were me asking it, I would have so much fun with this. So please have fun with this. Do you believe... No, no, let me say, Josh, Josh, I want you to take this one. You're excited for this. I want you to ask it. I want you to answer it, man. Do you believe in good stats for Gurley on Sunday? Now, see, this feels like one of our international audience members used one of those uh, in their Google things, uh, you know, uh, uh, for, for, for translation. And this is, they, they typed it in as an awesomely well thought out question and outspat, do you believe in good yards for Todd Gurley? No. No, I believe, believe good in good Gurley, <laughs> American football ball player. Do you see? Mm. Yeah, I'm going to go with I do not believe in good yards for table. But uh, Naughty Golovkin, you're not a boxing fan, are you, by any chance? I, I am a combat sports fan, yeah. Um, yes. So I, I need to uh, get my Gennady Golovkin fans on the uh, Turf Show Radio podcast. We'll do the, the, the rest of the lightning round for Gennady Golovkin. Mm. A girly, good stats. Nah, me, yes. London football, good. Mm. 
I, I used to have a much better George St. Pierre voice, but now I'm older and all stuffy. I don't have the higher voice, but uh, <clears throat> excuse me, if I could bring that back and answer all the questions in the George Pierce death. Well, yes. Uh, uh, never mind. All right. So, uh, over under when Les makes an appearance, close 11 wants Les, to nestle. Less need. Uh, less need. Goodbye. Uh, family disappear. Uh, to see soon Rams, not 2016. Uh, goodbye to everyone, Snead. Good hello to Fisher, general manager. Uh, hello. There's your answer, Chloe. <laughs> and Look, I, I would suggest anybody want to want to try to explain where the hell Les Snead went? Because I, I don't have an answer, man. Uh, you know what, dude? I think he's working on a Rams party yacht just off Ibiza. But, let me let me say this: we, we've we've pointed out the it, fact that the Rams are such a good job. Boat. Yeah, <laughs> let's say this: we've talked about the Rams with the marketing effort and Cronky and all this. The fact that they're not putting their general manager out tells you a hell of a lot. That's a, that's a uh, that's a that's a damning indictment for for whatever that means, and we don't we don't really know this because you don't get a lot of good looks inside the franchise. Silent Stan Kroenke is a thing. Les Snead obviously having disappeared is a thing, and the fact that Jeff Fisher you know remains committed to coach speak and the kind of uh, interviews that don't really provide a lot of insight that's his approach. That we should uh, start some of those where Sneedo and make him dressed up like Waldo. Yeah. And place him in little like ah, hey, you found Sneedo. All right, so here's, here's I say, right today it's a joke. In about two, I don't know what the threshold we in about three three like you know what? <laughs> we're, 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 <laughs> well, seriously, where is where the hell is he? Yeah. Yeah. In, in two months we're gonna be like so, guys. Um, is the y'all? Sneed has been found today, and we are terrible. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Really, it is. I mean, it's not a joke, but it's one of those things. Like, where the hell is the general manager of this team, man? For real, no doubt. Um, for sure, it, it certainly does cause cause for concern that he's not around and that people really don't know what's going on with him in that sense. Um, but I saved the best and probably perfect question to end on here. Uh, hey, Rams NFL, y'all like trades, right? I got an idea, Drew Brees, and that comes from Ryan Iham. <laughs> Ryan Iham, that's a great name, Ryan Iham. I don't is, is Ryan Iham. I don't know if you know him. Is Ryan Iham a Rams fan? Do we have any oh, idea? I think that he is probably a Saints fan, Saints fan, yeah. disenfranchised with. Uh, uh, let's see here. Yeah, there are a lot of Saints stuff posted on his wall, so uh, I would say that he is a Saints fan and a Mirko Crow Cop fan. Here's what I'd say. Maybe he's just a fan. It could be what it is. This guy retweets a lot of shit. He's a Rams fan. Turf Show Times. Well, here's what I would say, man. Um, Drew Brees ain't going to come to the Rams and do anything spectacular. It's it's not about Drew Brees. It's not about Case Keenum. It's not about 
uh, Jared Goff or Austin Davis or anybody. It, it, Drew Brees, Eli, we were talking about Eli Manning earlier, is one of the top 12 all-time with the most 400-yard games. You put those guys on the Rams, they're not going to do that. They don't, they don't, the Rams don't run the kind of plays that are conducive to creating 400-yard games, and they certainly don't have the talent to do that. That, that. That's just not the kind of trade that makes any sense for the Rams. Now, for Saints fans that want to do it, sure, we'll take Drew Brees. We ain't going to give you that for it because and jeff fisher would tell you this there's no value for quarterback in the system that's why he hadn't spent anything until he had to hit the moonshot for jared goff to try to hit his career extension and there's just no reason to believe that quarterback talent is the problem it's not quarterback talent and i've tried to explain this on the side i've tried to set it on the podcast we had nick Foles who helped the philadelphia eagles win 10 games we had sam bradford who you see with minnesota who is wherever minnesota's going to end up there are other teams that get more out of these quarterbacks than the rams do it has nothing to do with the quarterback it has more to do with the rams so for sam i ham or whatever the hell his name was for excellence for sam duran for everybody out there this is what it is, man. It's Rams football. And until we get to a point where we're building up the, the, the performances, it's not talent. It's not a talent issue, man. Fair enough. Um, well, do you have any final thoughts, man? Do you want to do, do you have any last whatnots before we get out of here for the night? I feel bad. I feel bad. I didn't get the Gennady Golovkin in there. Uh, uh, Rams, uh, not good. Offense, good score, family, play, sports. You watch, glad, uh, friend, to have money, me, not you. Thanks. Yeah, I had to take a drink to get through that. All right, so, no, I'm just, just joking. Um, I would just say that in all seriousness, I, I, I think, I don't want to say Saturday is a must-win game, but Saturday is a must-perform game. Sunday, so this is a Sunday, 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 you know, right. you know, you know, it's that whole brain on college football time. Sunday is a must perform game. The Rams must go out there and show the next level, next version of themselves, the version of themselves capable of beating teams like the Giants. Right, Joe? Well, I think the question is what that means. You're right. I, I I just I just don't know. Here's what I'd say to show the version of themselves that's capable of beating them. I don't I don't know what's holding them back from that. I don't know what's holding them back from beating the Detroit Lions last week, right? You you had a career day from Case Keenum. You had a career day from Kenny Britt. If you told me the Rams were going to score 28 points in Detroit against the Lions, I would have assumed that the Rams could have been able to win that game. The fact that they weren't, the fact that they didn't, is indicative of the problem. It's not a personnel problem. It, 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 it's, and it's not an execution problem. I mean, we talked about the four and one uh, run for Todd Gurley, or the fact that Kenny Britt was inches away from just kind of turning that ball over into the end zone. the The question is, why isn't the team capable of summoning even mediocre performances from the units that need them when they need them most, and when they don't? Why don't they? Why don't they find what's wrong with that and centralize that into their approach? This is a team, Josh. That don't forget, lost zero to twenty-eight to the San Francisco 49ers in Week One, who have since looked like 
the worst team in the NFL. There's there's no way to look at the way the San Francisco 49ers have played football since week one and explain how they blanked the Rams as completely that they did. That game may go down as one of the most inexplicable, you know. Sure. I don't don't know. I don't know. They handed out uh, annual Razzies at the end of the year, you know, like the football version of Razzies. And the Razzie for first game goes to the Los Angeles Rams week one. For losing losing to the the 49ers. What the? (laughs) But Here's what I'd say is this isn't the only game like that. That's part that's part of the makeup. The Rams have done the, go back to Chicago last year. There's you know, I, I'm trying to think extemporaneously. There's multiple games in the Rams history under Jeff Fisher like that where they've got the personnel, they've got the system, and it just doesn't make any sense why they would lose a game at the to the degree that they do when you see the other performances from the opposition. There, there's no way to explain it, and that's why the Rams are three and three. It's not the fact that they beat Arizona or Seattle, certainly Tampa Bay, but I think they're clearly capable of beating Tampa Bay. It's that they beat these other talented teams and then find ways to lose games that they have no they have no excuse whatsoever to lose those games, and, and that's what ends up keeping the Rams a six seven win team despite the personnel and the talent level. That's where we are, man. And I know it's exasperating. I know people come listen to this podcast and look into Church of Times to explain why the Rams aren't doing better. There isn't much of an explanation because those are the kind of games that pop up once a month that leave us speechless. And that's why we end up trying to validate 500 or hashtag 7 and 9 bullshit football. <sighs> I love that hashtag. It's never going to bore me. Speaking of all things hashtags and social media. Now- you better learn to wrap yourself in it now because it's going to last for a while. You can find me not on Twitter at Fight on Twist. You can find Joe on Twitter at uh, 3K underscore. Uh, you can also follow the site if you're not. Well, there's something wrong with you. Uh, but if you're not, uh, because you just barely found out about us and ha- or happen to be listening to this podcast just to check us out, uh, please do give us a follow at Turf Showtime. Send in your questions. More often than not, if you ask one, it will get answered. So I got a question. I got a yeah. question, Josh. Okay, go for it. What's your favorite color? Huh? What's your favorite color? Your uh, favorite color? Uh, mine, mine is blue, actually. Blue. Why, why is your favorite color blue? I don't know. It just always has been since I was a kid. Uh, You're a grown man, and you haven't decided why your favorite color is blue? You can't explain that to me? No, no, not really. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Colors. Like you know what? I'll tell you. I can tell you what, though. I, I, I can tell you my favorite color combination is black and orange. I think you can just do well, so many uh, things I, that. I love Halloween. Because of the Rams. <laughs> uh, oh, fair enough. I had a blown opportunity there to, to say the Rams at blue. Uh, but in truth, I will say this, man. I had a little Jim Everett figurine that went with me everywhere I was went as a child. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that, that that probably had a large impact on why I love the color blue. Uh, I, I just... 
I love the blue. It's it's around LA pretty much anywhere you look. The Rams, the Dodgers, uh, you know, not the Lakers, oh, but I'll, I always thought purple and gold was ugly ass. Man, just don't even get me started. I'll lose so many fans and followers. Uh, I, I, I actually don't. I think NBA teams in general come up with some weird color combinations, but I get that the purple and gold is supposed to represent the regal nature of a team. Uh, but I studied French well, regal. There's a Lakers hatred in there, Josh. I can sense. I can sense a lot of disdain. Actually, you know what, man? My entire family grew up uh, on the Lakers, so there's some Laker hatred in there. Uh, I enjoyed watching those Lakers battles. Uh, I, I, I think, you know, I, along with everybody else, you know, was bummed out that Kobe had to go out the way he went out. But then the way that he went out was vintage. Kobe. No, there is no what's up? Kobe. I said it was Kobe. That was Mamba, man. That's yeah, I mean that's that's what that guy can do, man. There'll never be another one like him. Uh there'll never be another guy who was as honest, uh forthright. Uh I and I do think that there are some things with his legacy that the issue of rape, you know, definitely different podcasts, different discussion that that do need to be talked about when you mention Kobe, but from a purely purely basketballing standpoint, Kobe Bryant is I would I feel blessed and fortunate to have been old enough to have seen Jordan, Kobe, and LeBron in their primes. Yeah, here, here's what I'd say. I've been to I I've been to games at the Forum. I've been to games at Staples Center. Uh, Kobe Bryant was fun. That's all I'm saying, man. Fernando Valenzuela, man. I could watch that guy pitch all day when I was a kid, and I got to because my great-grandma had season tickets to the Dodgers. Uh, see, that's one I didn't do. That That's a good place to close to show radio is the fact that you got to see Val- that, that I think, Josh, that's the first time I've been jealous. That's the first time you've made me jealous is that you saw Fernando Valenzuela, man. <laughs> That hurts. Yeah, well, you know, it hurts. It always hurts. I, you know, uh, I don't. I very much doubt that you care about uh, about uh, what do you call it, the opera at all. But I have actually the, op- the opera. Yeah, well, plays, plays, musicals, very like you know. I have seen the Phantom of the Opera with the original cast of Michael. Uh, damn it! Why am I drawing a blank? Uh, no, no. Sarah, Sarah you're, Brighton. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I've, well, I've seen Phantom of the Opera with the original cast. Uh, I think it was at the Pantages Theater in L.A., and uh, it was actually a commencement present because you know you don't graduate from different grades in elementary school you just have commencements uh it was a commencement present what was it i said now i'm jealous oh well i'm just making people jealous all over the place we have to do this (laughs) we have to bring scott more in for the close now see that this is now going to be a thing I, I don't know. No, that makes me zero jealous. Whatsoever. There we go. Yeah. yeah. 
That makes me zero jealous. Um, the Fernando Valenzuela out of a hundred. <sighs> that's tough. I'll say I'll say fifty. That's tough. Um, I'm also I, jealous. I that... Go ahead, Scott. I was gonna say I'm also jealous that Josh was old enough to see Fernando live because <laughs> I, missed, I missed him by <laughs> several years, but. <laughs> Go ahead, Scott. That's Scott, everybody. The pre- <laughs> That's good. true. <laughs> but but my but my grandma had those games and, and going back, like I, I'm one of those weird people that I have memories of my childhood that the people are like, you no way you remember that. And then and then I'll be like just talking to family members and my mom will even look at me and go, like, how the hell do you remember that? Like, I like I just remember today when I was like an infant in 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 one of those you know chairs moving around and there was chocolate cake man it was a party with chocolate cake so I beelined my chair over there I got me some chocolate cake and I put that shit all over my face because you know I did not eat uh, but I knew I wanted chocolate. This was last. They had to take me and put me in a different place. I was causing so many problems even back then. And my mom, the last time I talked to her, she was just like, I have no idea how you remember that, but that's ridiculously impressive because you must have been two and a half. Josh, you missed you missed Joe's joke. What was it? He said when was this last year? Oh, yeah, that's true. Probably true. I am a cake guy. And I am a child. Oh, well, I, I just realized I'm a pathetic child. <laughs> Marvel cartoon. I think we all don't good stuff, it. man. Uh, how, do, how do we want to close this? Uh, well, all right. How about this? Give me your prediction for the game, and I'll give you mine. I, I, I haven't even answered that, and I know we're supposed to be working this up for the site, and I haven't even done it yet, which means I'm behind. But it also changes uh, right now. Give me your, give me your. Yeah, that's true. I can just make one up. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. I, 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 this is this is maybe the most confusing game of the year, especially because of the way both teams are coming off of the performances they did. The Giants, you know, Eli Manning had four hundred plus passing yards, almost all uh, encompassingly because of Odell Beckham Jr.'s personal performance. The Rams came off of a great offensive performance, and Case Keenum was awesome until that final drive. He was other, he was other teamly. I don't know. You know, if you're asking for a prediction for the game, I'll probably just go Giants only because I I just can't trust the Rams, but not by much and not by a ton of points. I guess 2017. I don't know. I don't at this point. It's almost like whatever. It's one of those games where I just want them to get through it, get through the week, get through the bye week, get back to Los Angeles and start to figure out what they're going to do moving forward. Sorry, I had myself on mute there. Fair enough. No, you heard my prediction. You're like, you know what? Screw it. It's not worth it. I I can understand that. Um, I I think I'm gonna go ahead and 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 take the Rams in this one tentatively, just because I think that that time spent in London 
should. Duh. Can I be honest? Can I be honest? It's when you going. said tentatively, I thought you were going to say the Rams were going to win with ten points. I thought you were going to say ten three. I was like, God. If we were going to win a game with 10 points, I wouldn't even watch it, man. I'd just be like, you know what? Somebody let me know. Week two, the reintroduction of Rams football to Los Angeles, 9-3. to May that win live in infamy. (laughs) Dude, can you – but these types of games seem to happen when teams go across the pond. And you would think that, like, the fans over there would feel like, boned but they think it's the most thrilling thing ever because something could happen at any moment because that's how the, much of the tension in, in 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 their football is built up it's just any if something could happen at any moment with these teams and it just ended with you know in their eyes oh you know a 9-3 game it was good and you're just like I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. You know, bravo. Bless people like you. But with that, man, we have been on here for about an hour and 45 minutes. It is time to go. Hold on. Uh, Can the producer get in on this? Yes. Yes. I'm just joking. I'm going to stick my neck out there, and I'm going to say that London becomes Keenum's kingdom, and (laughs) the Rams win 24-17. Well, that's a bold prediction. I like it only because Scott has a prediction. I think this needs to become a thing. Scott <laughs> needs to get in there for Kingdom's Kingdom every week. All right, done. Done. <laughs> other shows who don't include their producers. Look at that. Look at that. Producers, you are getting hosed. Um, but for serious... Uh, one last name to mention, Scott. You can follow him on Twitter at Scotty J Sports. One of the best guys I know, willing to talk about just about any sports team in the world. Well, America. Um, but I am Josh Webb. He is Joe McAtee. He is Scott. Scott John Stun. I was about to say Scotty J Sports. He is that, but he is Scott Johnston. Um, we are Turf Show Times Radio, and we will be back next time. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech, Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.